A reading from the life of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. is. In fact, she's the one who brought this game. People laugh every service when I say that. I don't know, that, I don't know if that's a sign against me or her, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, she, she was the one who actually brought this game to my attention. I heard her do a bit on it. It's called Heavy Rain. It came out in 2010. And the basic idea behind the game uh, is that the ending is not fixed. Uh, based on the way you play, you can actually change the results of the end of the game. And what I mean is uh, the, the overall premise is you are playing as a series of different characters who are trying to solve a series of murders by a serial killer. A lot of fun. And so uh, you're going around, you're trying to do this. But unlike other games, if one of your characters dies, you don't get to go back and replay the level. That character just dies, and the, whatever part they were going to originally play at the end of the story, it's done with. In fact, they may have been the killer themselves. Now we've got a new killer. You just keep changing it. And all of your characters could die, and you never catch the killer. All right? And so comedian Kamel Nanjiani talks at the very beginning of his bit about the very first level of the game, which I had also noticed is you are playing as a dad who uh, is recently divorced. You get your kids every other weekend, and you're in kind of your sad apartment trying to have a conversation with your son, and uh, he's about a preteen age, and you're trying to make him a bowl of mac and cheese. And the whole level is you trying to have a conversation with your preteen son. And so they give you all of these options of things to say, but no matter what combination of things you say, by the end, you're going to run out of options because like every parent, you are going to run out of things to say to your own child at some point. And so then you have to go on and you actually have to make the bowl of mac and cheese. All right, and then no matter how you do it, no matter how well you do it, no matter what time you set the microwave to, by the end of doing the microwave bowl of mac and cheese, your son will say, I hate mac and cheese and you, and leave the room. Then you go to a park nearby, and you actually have to push them on a swing, and no matter what you do, by the end, the kid gets kidnapped. What? And so he says, at the end of this whole thing, if you had gone back in time to the 1970s and 80s, and you had to talk to, I mean, pioneers, people who are working groundbreaking stuff in the world of video games. 
and you had to say to them, I want to make this precise of a video game, they would look at you and say, okay, we can make a yellow dot be the sun, and we can make a red dot be the dad, and all they can do is bounce into each other back and forth. We don't know what you're talking about. No one could imagine this level of interactivity. But now my daughters love playing video games, and the kind of games they're playing, like Roblox and Minecraft, are games where they are literally shaping the levels they are playing. Like they are getting into the code of the game, they are able to make a level for themselves to play on. It is unimaginable to what most of us who grew up playing video games could have even imagined was possible. Now, this played a little better than it did in the first service, which the average age of the people in the first service are still wondering when pinball's making a comeback. But still, the point of the reason we're talking about this is we're in a series where we're talking about what we're calling interactive life with God. Now, interactive life with God was his plan from the beginning. What we started talking about last week is that all of us have a story that we've kind of got mapped out that we want our lives to take, a way we want our career to go and our parenting to go and our marriage to go, or maybe marriage and parenting aren't in your plans. And so you've got a whole different story of how you think your life's going to go. And what most of us are trying to figure out is, how can I get God, how can I get Jesus to come over to my story and bless it? How can I help him make, how can he get my dreams to come true? How can he get my plans to be blessed? How can he help me get my dream to go? But what we said is that Jesus has a story that he's been telling since the beginning of the world. And you and I are not the center of the story. He is. And he is inviting us into an interactive life with him where we get to participate in the story in a way we could have never imagined. The story is about interactive life with God. So it begins with God creating all existence, and the prized jewel of his creation were the human beings he made in his own image. Now the pronouns I use there are actually a little misleading because it actually says God said, let us make mankind in our own image. God said let us, because God is actually one being, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what we call the Trinity. That God is a self-contained, interactive community of love. That God unto himself interacts with himself, among himself. And though that may have just sounded like the English language broke, it did because it doesn't make sense. But... It's the truth of reality. And part of what it means for us to be made in the image of God is we are invited into this loving relationship. We, are, we were made for loving, interactive community with God. Because look at this whole verse. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God made us in this interactive, relational, loving image of the Trinity so that we, together with Him, could rule over the creation. That God has given us power and authority to help shape and create this world in His loving image. But that power, that authority, that what we call dominion, it isn't exactly 
what we often think it is, because as God reveals about himself in other parts of Scripture, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So, though we have power and authority in it, it don't belong to us. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. He is the owner. We're the managers. It is meant that we are to work with him to help others, to love the creation, to love one another as he would. But human beings, as we all have done in our own lives, reject God's authority. We reject his rule. We give ourselves over to the power of sin and death. And we have caused corruption and decay for ourselves, for this world, for the creation as a whole, for people in our own lives. But God, who is rich in mercy, continues to come to us and invite us into interactive life with him, relationship with God, back to participate in the Trinity, in the community of love. And so he starts with people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and all these people that you hear from the oldest part of the Bible, and he's working with them and through them to do incredible, miraculous things. And eventually he partners with the whole nation of Israel, all of these people, to say, hey, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to show the world what interactive life with me does and what it produces. But the truth is, this was limited interactive life with God because it was limited to the law of God, to the religious system that they'd had. In fact, it was even more kind of shrunken down that really there was just a select group of prophets and priests and kings who got the Spirit of God poured out onto them. And this was like interactive life 1.0. It's the Atari Pong version of interactive life. You can do some stuff, but it's very, very limited. But God spoke through one of these spirit-filled prophets named Joel. And he promised that afterwards, or as the Apostle Peter would say when he quotes this after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he would say, in the last days, or in the days since Jesus Christ has appeared to us, God will pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Not just one small group of select prophets that were all men. It's going to be men and women are invited into this interactive life with God. That your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. God had always been promising that there would come a day when God would interact with human beings in a new way that no one could have imagined in interactive life 1.0. You couldn't even picture what it would be like. The availability of God's power and presence, what we call His kingdom, life with Him, it would be available to people when His Spirit would come to live in them and not a select group of special people who got it all right. Anyone who wants in on this promise of life with God could be invited in. Interactive life with God, 2.0. Something no one could imagine before. When Jesus began his ministry, this is what he went around declaring. The time promised by God has come at last. This time that you've heard about where something new is going to happen, it's here. The kingdom of God, interactive life with God, 2.0. It has come near to you. So repent of your sins and believe the good news. Somehow, in the person of Jesus, and the way that he lived and the power that he had, people just got near to him and they thought, man, it's clear the power of God is with him in a way no one's ever seen before. The presence of God is with him in a way no one's ever seen before. And not just with him, it seemed as almost the closer you got to him, he was with 
people, that the physical proximity you had to Jesus was somehow your physical proximity to God. That it was a new kind of life no one had been able to experience. And that's because Jesus was not just another prophet of God. He was God. God in human flesh. So when you interacted with Jesus, you interacted with God. So Jesus says, you need to make arrangements to live in this kingdom. This is what he means when he says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. To repent is to turn from an old way of life, to just straight up reject that way of life doesn't work anymore. To believe is to turn to a new way of life, to accept that a new kind of life is possible in a way no one had experienced before, the reality of life with God. Because, and you know this, when you think of it in those terms, it feels very spiritual, You can't play heavy rain on an Atari. The system can't support it. It doesn't work. In fact, you will do damage to both by trying to cram one into the other. It just will never work. So what do you have to do? You've got to repent of that old system. you got to toss it out. you got to throw it away. It is no longer useful to you. If you want a different level of interactivity, it will not happen on that. You've got to make arrangements to go and turn towards a new system. If you want to interact with this new way of playing video games, you have to have something new. And so for us, we need to turn from our old way of doing life. The sin that did damage to ourselves and to others, or the bad ideas that you just have about God that make make you feel like he's so distant from you, like he doesn't care about you, or the way that you think life works, most likely you have to repent of the story you wanted your life to go in. You have to just admit that was Interactive Life 1.0 where I was trying to get God on board with me. This is a new way of life. It is going in a way I can't imagine it, which means I can't imagine it. I can't try to find a way to cram Jesus into my old way of doing life and just hope it all works out. I have to just break it all up and say, I'm going a different direction towards Jesus and whatever story he is telling. Because i got to dream new dreams, not the dreams I dreamed when I was a little kid or a teenager or when I got these kids and I had dreams for them. i got to dream new dreams. i got to have new visions, and they're not coming from me. So that's why we're out here telling Jesus stories. Because we want to see who is God as revealed in Jesus and how am I meant to interact with him. And today's story, as you've already heard read, it's about a wee little man. And in case you didn't get it, a wee little man was he? We don't want you to hear it once. The only thing you need to know about this man is he was wee and little. If you don't get anything else, this is a little man. For all my short kings out there uh, who feel victimized right now, don't despair. As as a New Testament scholar, uh, Tim Mackey, points out, in the original Greek language, in the way that Luke phrases, because he was short, he couldn't see Jesus, the way we kind of place it there, it looks like the pronouns are referring to Zacchaeus. But that's just the way we, we translate it here. He says in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's actually really hard to know whether he was short refers to Zacchaeus or Jesus. 
Could Zacchaeus not see it because Zacchaeus was short? Or could Zacchaeus not see Jesus over the crowd because Jesus was so short? So maybe Jesus was the original short king. Maybe Jesus had, maybe Jesus had Kevin Hart energy, right? I'm okay with that. I don't see a problem with that. Either way, Zacchaeus so badly wants an encounter with Jesus that he is willing to suffer the indignity of climbing into a tree, a grown man climbing into a tree to be near him. My hope is that for the rest of our time, this will be our posture as well. That we so badly want to be near Jesus. We so badly want to interact with him. We will do it no matter the cost. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and tax collectors were the most despised people in ancient Judea. The Romans who occupied Judea would auction off provinces and towns to Roman businessmen who would employ local Jewish men to collect taxes in these territories. And whoever bid that they would bring in the highest revenue won, which means these tax collectors were expected and had incentive to get as much money from as many people as possible. So these local tax collectors were given a lot of freedom to create whatever fictitious taxes and fees they saw fit and skim off the top for themselves. Plus, they had the might of the Roman army to enforce their unethical practices. Tax collectors were known to walk around with Roman soldiers harassing people on the streets and in their homes, taxing them on the spot for whatever they had, not unlike a mafia enforcer. And there were often multiple tax collectors in a region, which means even if you got shaken down by one tax collector, you could be taxed by another on the same day. Tax collectors were so despised that they were not allowed to be witnesses in a Jewish court. They couldn't exchange their dirty money in the temple, and they had been banished from worshiping God in the temple. Interactive life with God was off the table for them, until Jesus. As author James Rockford states, this is why it's so scandalous to see Jesus pick Matthew, a tax collector, as one of his closest disciples. It's hard to compare this to someone today. It'd be like Billy Graham hiring a man from a Colombian drug cartel. This was so scandalous that the Jewish skeptic Celsus actually used this as evidence against Jesus as the Messiah because Jesus had scum like Matthew for disciples. And perhaps what would have been offensive and scandalous to everyone else is what caused Zacchaeus to climb into a tree just to see Jesus. Maybe all the power and money he had gained as a tax collector weren't worth the trade of being cut off from others and from worshiping God. Maybe Zacchaeus had heard that Jesus, this man of God, called tax collectors to be his disciples. Maybe Zacchaeus wondered, is it too good to be true? We don't know, but what we know is that in the busyness and noise of the crowd, Jesus notices Zacchaeus. Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And if you've ever felt like an outcast, if you've ever done something that has pushed people away, I mean something where you were embarrassed to show your face again, if you know what it's like to have people not make eye contact with you or to look away as you pass by or for voices to get quiet when you've entered the room, you might be able to imagine how it must have felt in a large crowd for Jesus to notice you, to look you in the eye. And I imagine he must have smiled when he saw Zacchaeus. I wonder if Zacchaeus remembered the old priestly blessing he might have heard as a child in the temple before he'd been banished. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. I wonder if when he saw the eyes of Jesus, he felt the Lord's face shining upon him. Despite what he'd done and who he'd become, the Lord was still shining his face upon Zacchaeus. I don't know what he thought, 
But what we know is that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. In their day, going to someone's house for a meal was a sign that you were connected to someone. It was a sign of blessing upon them. And Jesus is going to the house of the chief tax collector, the head of the cartel, the chief sinner? And we don't know what they talked about. We don't know what Jesus said to him about God or the kingdom or about Zacchaeus' own sin. But what we know is that it changed Zacchaeus. He said, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This man too is a son of Abraham. This man is no longer cut off. He too can receive the promise of life with God that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. This man, with all of his sin and terrible things he's done to us, this man too has the face of the Lord shining upon him because God is not who you imagine him to be. He's actively seeking out those who are lost and broken to save them and to bring them into the life they could never imagine. demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners in the midst of it Christ died for us while we were still rebellious while we were enemies of God he loved us then and he gave his body he gave his blood for us out of that love and if you're in a place this morning where you're still questioning if that's true or questioning what you really believe about all of this, or even if, let's be honest, you're still angry with God over something like this. Can I just tell you something? He's not angry with you. He never was. And the reason I can tell you that, the reason I know it's true, is the cross is all of the proof that you need that He loves you. That's why it's so important for us as a
to be reminded over and over again. And so, just like Jesus invited Zacchaeus on that day, you are also invited to the Lord's table to come and eat with him and receive his love and his grace. That's why when you walked in the door, someone should have handed you a little pack of emblems, bread and juice, that you can participate with this right now. You're invited in just a moment to receive them. And again, I would say if you're not sure if this is for you, if you're not sure what you believe about all this, don't feel any obligation to participate. But I would ask you just to sit and be quiet and to talk to God about this. Maybe you could just even tell him why it's so difficult right now for you to believe. Ask him to make himself and his love real to you. I can assure you, he's not afraid of your doubts. He wants you to encounter him more than anything. So for followers of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to eat and to drink in these moments of quiet and thank God for Jesus. Remember the Father's love for you. But I also want to encourage you, remember what it felt like to be like Zacchaeus. Far from God, on the outside. Remember the joy when you were brought in, when you were embraced. So I'm going to give you just a moment of silence to encounter God through this food. And when that time is over, our band's going to come and sing about the love of God. Heavenly Father, help us not to forget the goodness of life with you. How merciful and kind you have been to us. And help us not forget what it felt to be on the outside looking in. So that though our eyes would be fixed on you, our heart would also be turned towards those who are on the outside as well. Help us to follow you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus changed him. And just like we said about early in the service when we were singing, the love of God somehow awakens us to a world we didn't think possible. And we can't imagine what interactive life with God 2.0 could be. The love of God somehow awakens us to it. It's a world where tax collectors and murderers and thieves are welcomed into the family of God, where sinful, lustful, abusive, angry and bitter and greedy and deceitful and untrustworthy people somehow are transformed, given new life, and able to be trusted with good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. A world where no one gets what they deserve, where everyone just receives gift after gift from the riches of God's grace. And see, it's one level of interaction to receive that grace, to truly accept, as Jason already talked to us about, that Jesus loves me, that he's forgiven me, that he's made me new, to accept the Lord really does want to bless me and keep me and make his face shine upon me. And for some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a decade, and we are still working at trying to accept the truth of that. 
But the kingdom of God is not simply, the gospel of Jesus is not simply an invitation to a plan of salvation. What I mean, it is not merely a way to somehow figure out how can I get God to do something for me. That's interactive life with God 1.0. It's the formula, it's the code that you have to follow to be forgiven of your sins and get to go to heaven when you die. It's life with God that is somehow separated from me ever having to give up my story. It's separated from the story that God has been writing. It is solely about how can I get God to do for me so I can go off and do what I want to do, but I have a ticket to heaven when I die. It has nothing to do with the story that God has been telling throughout history. You see, when we do this, what we've missed is we've missed the point of these Jesus stories that we call the Gospels. See, when Mark begins his Gospel, he says, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and then he just tells a whole story about Jesus' life. Turns out the Gospel of Jesus is Jesus. Turns out it's the story of Jesus. These stories of God rescuing and redeeming and mostly being with His people to bring about His kingdom and His rule. As New Testament scholar and author Scott McKnight puts it, we're often tempted to turn the story of what God is doing in this world through Israel first and then Jesus Christ into a story about me and my own personal salvation. In other words, the plan of salvation, focusing on just how do I get saved, has a way of cutting the story about God and God's Messiah and God's people into a story about God and one person, me. And in this, the story shifts from Christ and community into an individualism. Most people think of salvation as being something that happens in this private spiritual experience when I go down front at an altar call, right? And I make a decision, I'm following Jesus. Most of us don't know that the altar call, actually, it is not thousands of years old. It's only about 100 years old. Uh, And it first began just before the Civil War when an evangelist named Charles Finney uh, began using it in his revivals as he would go around uh, America preaching. And the reason that Finney started it is when he would call people to receive salvation. To He would preach the gospel of Jesus in this new kingdom, and then he'd call people forward down to the altar so he could have a conversation with them. And when he would sit down, especially with people from the American South, when they would come down, he'd have an actual altar, and he would ask them, if you're here to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I also need you to sign this petition to abolish slavery. Because he would say, if you really understand the message that God has come to give freedom to all people, how can you want freedom and not want to give it to anybody else? That repentance had a heavier call. In fact, he would often get in trouble when he would travel around because he refused to serve communion to slaveholders. He would say, clearly the gospel of Jesus has not taken root in your life. And when we think that the point of what Jesus came to do was just to get the message out to people and get more people into heaven, we think, well, how dare you put anything at that altar between them and Jesus? How dare you make anything happen between them and salvation? But when we realize that the point of salvation is Jesus and His life in this new kingdom, He is creating this interactive life, then it changes everything. And see, Zacchaeus didn't miss this. 
He understood this. When he saw Jesus, he caught a glimpse of a different kind of life. And so Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, if I've personally wronged anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. Now, I don't think when Zacchaeus met Jesus was the first time he'd ever encountered the thought, maybe my job's a little unethical. I don't think it took till he met Jesus to think, you know, I don't think everyone's kind of into what I'm doing. I don't think he ever had a question of whether what he was doing was sinful or unjust to other people. I think he didn't care. And then he meets Jesus and he repents. And remember, repents. He tosses out the old things. He says, I'm done with that. I can't go back to the way that is. And I don't want you to forget that everything Zacchaeus was doing was legal. Everything he was doing was legal. In his mind, hey, I'm just following the law. I'm just doing the thing. And then he meets Jesus and he goes, oh, there's a different law. There's a different kingdom. There's a different thing I'm supposed to be doing. So why does he repent when he meets Jesus? Because I think the love of God is so big that it completely wrecks us. And what I mean is it ruins our life in this world. It ruins our ability to go back to business as usual and the status quo and to just continue in life in this kingdom the way that it is. I got to throw it all out. I got to go to something completely different. But it does not just destroy our old selves. It rebuilds us into the kind of person who can do what God had already told the prophet Micah he wanted, that he required from human beings to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. I think Zacchaeus saw a world where justice was actually possible. Because, hey, the law was making injustice possible and profitable for people. A world where mercy, people get better what they deserve. It's something that you love, that you want to share it with other people. A world where you could actually walk humbly with God, interacting with His love and grace by sharing it with others being generous to those in need and forgiving those who have wronged you and making right the things that are wrong. And by wrong, I mean things that do not line up with the kingdom of God. That's the definition of wrong. There's nothing else. Anything that God would not have it, that's wrong. And so I say, well, I'm not going to do it that way. That I would do justice for others and I would be merciful and I would walk humbly with God. That's interactive life 2.0. Interactive Life 2.0 is not just I receive God's mercy and justice and grace. It's that I am interacting with it by sharing it with other people. By making sure everyone gets to be a part of this. You see, because it was when Zacchaeus shared the gift, when he was generous, when he repented and turned from the old sin and said, hey, I'm going back and I'm going to repair some stuff that's been broken. It was at that point that Jesus said, ah, salvation has come. That's what it looks like, everybody. This is what Jesus is saying to the crowd that's standing inside. This is what it looks like. In case you don't see, this is how you know. This is the evidence. He actually gets it. This is not only about you being forgiven. It is about you living into that grace that God has given you by sharing it with others. And if you don't want to do justice, and if you don't actually want to love mercy, then maybe you don't want my kingdom. Maybe you just want to avoid hell. See, Years ago, one of my daughters 
was, uh, had made the decision she wanted to be baptized, and we'd been talking about it for a long time. And so we'd been talking about all the things kind of around it, and we were driving one day with the whole family, and we were going through a roundabout here in Noonan, which the good news is everyone in Noonan knows how to use those, so there was no problem. But we went through the roundabout in Noonan, and there was no one in the roundabout. I got there, and I entered into the roundabout, and someone else was coming up, and I guess they thought I was supposed to, like, stop at their intersection and let them in. It's not the way it works, but I just kept going through, and I don't know if they're having a bad day, but they laid into that horn like a bunch. They're just, just going at me. My girls in the back, their first thought is, what'd you do wrong, Daddy? Daddy, what's happening? Why are they honking? I said, well, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I, you get in and you yield to the people that are coming in. And they go, so you did nothing wrong? I said, yeah. And, they go, and that man honked at you? And I said, uh-huh. They go, turn the car around, Daddy. Turn it around. They don't have earrings, but they're like taking the earrings out. And they're like, here we go, Daddy. It's going to happen. They're like, turn around. You go back to that roundabout. You find that man. You honk the horn at him. See how he likes being honked at. And I said... Hold on a second. I turned to my daughter who's about to get baptized just in a couple weeks. And I said, hey, don't you remember you said you wanted to follow Jesus, make him the leader of your life? I said, you wanted your sins forgiven because you wanted to live in a world where people don't get what they deserve? And I said, you're about to stand in a baptistry and say Jesus is Lord. Well, what does Jesus say we do to people who wrong us, who curse us? We bless them. What do we do to people who persecute us? We pray for them. So maybe what we should do is we should sit here and pray to God, thank God for that man, and ask God that he would have a good day. They go, that's stupid. <laughs> He's just getting away with it. And I said, exactly, because you said you wanted to live in a world where people get away with the bad things they do. And maybe if you don't want to live in a world where people get better than what they deserve, maybe you don't really want the kingdom. Maybe you just want to do bad stuff and get away with it. There's a different view of what salvation is. The gifts of God are not meant for solely my benefit. They are an invitation to participate with God by sharing those gifts with others. True repentance changes me to become a person who could actually love mercy, love it when people don't get what they deserve. See, because most of us just want mercy. I don't want to get what I deserve, but i really like it if you did. But we could become people who do justice, and by justice, what we mean is not everyone gets what they deserve, because those things sound like some conflict. Justice means is that everything goes back to the way God intended it to be, that people are treated rightly and fairly, and with loving mercy. It is not impossible to do justice and love mercy. You just have to understand them both. And what they look like is walking humbly, hand in hand with God. And it's not only justice for the wrongs I've done, but justice for all kinds of wrongs. Because if my goal is I want to return this world to the way it was meant to be, that means there's wrongs I haven't done that need to be made right. And they may cost me. Zacchaeus didn't only repair what he had personally done wrong to others. He said, I'm going to pay back anyone I've personally wronged four times what I owe them. But then he said, I'm also just going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Zacchaeus did not personally make everyone who was poor, poor. He was not personally responsible. There was a whole system behind that that made sure that those people were poor. But he 
did become rich in a system where certain people were disadvantaged so that he could be made rich. Remember? Everything Zacchaeus did as a tax collector was not only not illegal, it was legal. It was what the government wanted to happen. The Roman system was set up in such a way that certain people would be advantaged, other people disadvantaged. Certain few people made very rich while other people were intentionally made to be very poor. And the good news is governments don't work that way anymore. But here's the truth. You and I know there are things in our world, there are things in our country, and in our history, and in our county, in the school that your kids go to, where not everyone is treated fairly and justly and the right way. And you know, well, that had nothing to do with me because I didn't do that. I mean, that's all in the history. That's just all in the past. That's not my problem. Why do I have to do something about something that's not my problem? Because the question is not, what's your problem to fix? The question is, what world do you want to live in? What kingdom do you represent? Do you want to live in a kingdom where things return to the way God intended it to be, justice? Do you want to live in a kingdom where people don't get what they deserve? They get better than what they deserve. So that anyone could walk humbly, interactively with God, where all wrongs are made right where all sins are forgiven and relationships are reconciled, where justice reigns and the poor are lifted up and those who are oppressed are set free. You and I have been invited into a world of justice and mercy where we get better than we deserve. The question is, do you want to share that kind of world with anyone else? Or are you just looking for Jesus to forgive your sins and bless your story that you've already set up and planned and all your dreams, bless your life and take care of your needs, but you are not really interested in making anything right for anybody else, forgiving anyone else's wrongs against you, or blessing anyone who you have deemed they don't deserve it. It's not worth it. Or looking for ways to care for the needs of others or right wrongs you had nothing to do with. Are you just saying, hey, if I didn't cause the problem, it ain't mine to fix. Can I just suggest that if maybe that is the case, maybe you don't really want the kingdom. Maybe you don't even really want the king. Maybe you just want the gifts. Maybe you just want what you can receive from him. Christians are people for whom the love of God has ruined our lives in this world. We cannot go back to business as usual, and we cannot go up to propping up another kingdom and trying to cram Jesus into that kingdom. He is not interested. He has ruined our lives in the kingdom of this world so that we cannot go back to business as usual, but out of the ruins, he is building us into a people who could actually do justice and love mercy because we can't get enough of it. So why wouldn't I want to see other people not get what they deserve? We want to walk through this life humbly, hand in hand, interacting with the God who gives his love and justice and mercy like the skies give the sun and the rain. So I want to give us a few moments where we can talk with God and consider where is he calling us to interact with his loving kingdom by sharing it with others. Jason's going to come and lead us in that.
So this morning, I want us to sit with the same question that the prophet Micah asked the people of God. I believe the Lord would be asking us this question today. What does the Lord require of me? What does he require of you? I mean, we know what God has given us. Nathan just talked about We know the gifts, right? Unconditional love and grace, blessings, forgiveness of sin, new and everlasting life. More importantly than that, we know what he's given and that he gave us himself, right? So in light of all that, what does he require of you? What does he require of us? And what would be your next step toward life with him? Maybe you're here today and you're like Zacchaeus and you know that there are some personal wrongs that you need to make right, some things you have participated in. Maybe there's a relationship you need to repair, someone you need to forgive. Or maybe that person that needs forgiveness is you. You need to offer an apology and ask for forgiveness from someone else. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you need to confess, not just to God, because you've been doing that for a while. It's time to confess to another person. What does justice, what does mercy, what does humility require of you today? Or maybe it's bigger than a personal wrong you've done. Maybe there's an injustice in our world, and it's been pulling at your heart for quite a while. God's been leading you to do something about that. Maybe Maybe it's been hard for you to do it because it's going to require something of you that you're not ready to give. Maybe some time that you don't want to give or some money you want to let go of. But maybe it's time for you to get involved with an organization that's doing something to make earth look like heaven. So where can you join God? Where can you right the wrongs in our world? Or maybe, maybe your next step really is just, it's more like a first step. Maybe before you can begin to act justly or to love mercy, you just need to start walking with God. And you're struggling with that because you're, you're still figuring out what you believe about Him. Or maybe it's been a long time since you've set foot into a church community. But for some reason, you came here today and in some way you felt the love of God pulling you in a very powerful way. Can I encourage you just to listen to that voice and just take a step towards Him? Maybe all you need to do, and you're not sure what it is, but could I just suggest talking to someone about it? Signing up for our next steps class? I don't know. You can do that right now while I'm talking, or you can talk to somebody on your way out the door today. And here's the thing. You don't have to have everything figured out yet. But maybe just by getting with some other people, hearing some other stories or telling yours, you'll feel and see a new perspective and you'll encounter God in a very different way. Whatever your next step is that God's leading you to take, I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk to him about it. He'd love to hear from you. And then after a minute or so of silence, our band's going to come and we're going to sing about the way of life that we have chosen to follow.